talk show, Taking Old School Viral. I'm your host, Manda O'Fox Gillespie. It's embarrassing, all the stupid things I can think of to think about. Is there anything that could really bring my mind back to myself? neighbor and welcome to folk you live <laughs> where we ask our neighbors what do you know and our husbands folk university is an experiment uh, so today we're talking about are you prepared this is the second in a two-part series so i do encourage everybody to go back and through the folk you archives to listen to the first part in this series, which was an interview just on the radio, not this exciting live event style. Uh, and that was with Sean Koopman from the Strathcona Regional District. So today we're picking up where that interview left off. In other words, Sean Koopman and the big resources of BC Wildfire and BC Hydro and all those things that we might wish were coming to our rescue, they have just been eaten by the zombies. And we have to figure out what's next for us. Perhaps more realistically, that isn't the zombie apocalypse, but perhaps it is a major earthquake. And we are now separated from resources that are for a long, long time. And this is like, even if the zombies don't take over Campbell River, Campbell River uh, does not have ferries running back and forth. And Campbell River does not have gasoline and these and other larger communities have no housing to spare, no gas, no grocery stores, and no food. We are on our own. For how long? Today, we're going to start with the big picture, the global, and move down to the scale of Cortez, your neighborhood, your home, you. What does it look like to be prepared on all these different scales, and what can you do starting today? So we'll have representatives from every preparedness uh, organization uh, on Cortez uh, and who are volunteering their time. Thank you. I don't know if they knew they're volunteering their time. <laughs> uh, and we have you uh, to share with us. So I'm hoping by the end of the day, if nothing else, we've planted some seeds of how we will be connecting, how we could connect. And we all feel like we have some sense of strategy for how we're going to move forward. Um, because it's going to take neighbors to keep us alive. Okay, so first I am going to introduce my husband, Sadhu Johnston. And he is here appearing in his first ever Folk You. Uh, why? Because <laughs> I made him. Um, but he used to... Uh, be responsible for the emergency response files for the city of Vancouver, amongst many other things. And so I thought he could tell us a little bit more about what we know from big places, but also from having experienced uh, Christchurch and what happened there. So, and I'm just going to take a moment for if you're here, 
this is a great time for you to come under the shade if you want. Or if you're just like, I have to have sun no matter what. You don't need to, but you are welcome to, to come under the shade of this nice sh- structure. Okay, so, Sadhu, what does places like Vancouver have to do with us out here? Thanks, Amanda. Great to be on your show. I'm a real fan. Listen every week when I can. And uh, so I just wanted to, um, firstly, it's really great that you're doing this two-part series because um, planning is a key part of being ready for an earthquake. Um, So as you said, I was involved with emergency management in the city of Vancouver. And um, I wasn't, uh, my disclaimer is I'm not an emergency management expert. There are people who study this and who are experts on it. I'm not, but I have been involved in a number of emergencies and been on the ground trying to deal with them. So um, those vary from the the Stanley Cup riot, where we had 150,000 drunk people trying to trash the downtown Vancouver, and I was in the emergency management operations center there during that event, which was pretty discouraging. Um, actually, I was on the ground watching it happen, and you could feel the energy in the crowd change, and then all of a sudden, there were cop cars on fire and everything else, and it was like, okay, I'm going to the emergency operations center. And uh, so from things like that to uh, we had a large fire at the port where we had uh, chemical um, smoke going into a couple of the neighborhoods downtown and then uh, a variety of other things. So um, including an oil spill in downtown Vancouver. So I've I've had a chance to watch some of these things play out. And um, when you're doing emergency planning work um, or preparedness, there's four basic phases of emergency uh, emergencies. There's mitigation, which is the work you do to uh, reduce the risk of an emergency or when an emergency does happen to reduce the impact of that. So for many of us, that might be clearing uh, shrubs and trees around our property um, in the city of Vancouver, preparing for climate change that's raising the sea levels, um, seawall sea levels, things like, like that. Mitigation is things we're doing to reduce the negative impact of that emergency happening. And then there's planning, which is kind of what we're doing today, getting ready um, and doing exercises. Today, uh, Sean was telling me that this is a test of the CKTZ emergency broadcasting. So they're actually broadcasting live from the CETA site to the radio station. So this is a test of that, that system. And so exercising and testing systems is really important. Then there's the response. And we all think about emergencies. We generally often fall to the response. That's kind of what we immediately think about is what's going to happen right as that, that emergency is happening. Usually that, um, that's very, very, very short, typically. Um, the longest phase in, in dealing with an emergency is the response. And that's kind of how do we recover. And that response phase is much smoother if we've done the planning and the mitigation work. And so that's where things like today are really, really important. So the recovery phase can last from days to months to years. Um, we had the opportunity to send a bunch of staff to Christchurch right as they were dealing with their earthquake. And so we sent four or five staff there from the fire department, from the emergency planning office. And um, they stayed there for weeks watching how Christchurch responded and, um, and how they went into the recovery phase. And what was interesting to see some of the systems that normally people take for granted were the ones that that gave the most trouble. Um, The sewer system, for instance, was really damaged during their earthquake. And um, so even if you can get fresh water, if you got nowhere to put 
put your sewage, um, you have big, big problems with sanitary health. So those types of issues are, are really critical. Um, Cortez, I think we've got a lot of strengths here, um, particularly on the mitigation and the planning side. Just having Sean Koopman, um, we're really lucky to have the SRD and the resources that they can offer us with FireSmart and the other things that, that we can do for mitigation and planning. So we're, that's, that's really good. Um, we're in a way we're really lucky because we have a really resilient, uh, public because we are here for the, re we like to be self-reliant to some extent. Um, we currently process our own sewage on our properties already. Most of us uh, generally, we have, uh, wells, so we produce our own water. So many of the systems that decay, um, in a city, we kind of take care of ourselves. And so we're, we're in good shape. We often heat our own homes with wood so we can continue to do that um so resilient people and community is really a key to our success we have some major uh, weaknesses i think on cortez which is um, that we're on our own as manda said in vancouver there's a heavy a heavy urban search and rescue team that would go and help other communities or help vancouver they had that in christchurch we won't have that here there will be fuel rationings we won't have fuel here um so really, in, in, this, in the city of Vancouver and most cities, they say you need to be prepared on your own to survive for 72 hours. That's water and food. I'd say we need to be prepared to survive on our own here for 72 days. Like we really need to be way more prepared for an emergency here with food, water, and uh, fuel on our site to run our generators and that kind of thing. So today's session, I think, is really important because... Unlike cities and communities that are more compact and will have more resources, we really, I think we really will be on our own for weeks, if not months, and we need to be ready for that. So that's my two cents, Amanda. Thanks for having me. I think we'll have to have him more often. He's pretty good, huh? It, it, was, it was not easy to book him, I will say. The, uh, until just moments ago, it was unclear whether he was going to show up. So, um, but we'll try. Uh, okay, so I feel like that was a great intro to uh, the big global picture. Plus, I also like having categories. I can't think unless I write. So, um, behind the scenes at every FOCU, I furiously take notes that then I do nothing with, um, except for stack up in my around my office in my house. So I'm taking notes, and the live audience can see my nice scribbly notes. So it's nice to be able to think about it in these sort of four areas. Next, we have, I, I'm sure he's now going to hate that I'm bringing him on uh, now, but I want to go from this big sort of global picture and and thinking about what we can learn from other cities and how to categorize that to the picture of our island. So here we are, the, the last ferry, and um, you know, with with the, with the zombies is just pulled away. We we're here for figuring it out for at least seventy two days. Chris Walker, the man who probably needs no introduction, but is the head of the fire department uh, board and a, a volunteer position that makes people probably wish that they did not volunteer and also a, a much sought after plumber. Uh, so, <laughs> but he's too busy, all right, doing this kind of thing. So don't ask him to come and, and do anything at your house. Uh, <laughs> Chris Walker. Thanks, I'm hoping to, to give, give us a little, give us, give us the situation here. Oh my gosh. Uh, sunny day. Nobody's shooting at us, so we're lucky. Um, uh, yeah, thank you, Amanda, and um, 
good for Amanda uh, for producing these excellent series. Um, Pokey is a great asset that she has uh, pretty much single-handedly created here. Uh, yay, Amanda! Woo! Radio Amanda! Yeah. So, um, I am uh, the president of the Cortez Island Firefighting Association, uh, or CIFA, and uh, we have the, the uh, job of running the fire department on Cortez, which is a volunteer fire department. Um, Cortez is somewhat unusual in this day and age because uh, Cortez Island Firefighting Association is a local group of people, and we make the decisions about spending taxpayers' money for the fire department. Most fire departments now are under the authority of the regional district, and so in a location like Cortez, uh, the regional district would appoint um, the employees, the chief, and, and have most of the decision-making power. Um, in times past, smaller communities used to do the model that we are still clinging to, um, and we're, there's not a lot of us left. But it does mean that Cortez does have a lot more control over their uh, primary emergency service provider, which is the fire department. Um, our, our, we have a contract we sign every five years with the regional district, and uh, it's, uh, strictly speaking, uh, I'll quote it, the provision of firefighting, fire suppression, fire prevention services in the interest of public safety and security, uh, including interface fires, meaning fires that threaten buildings uh, and other habitations. Um, we also uh, help out with road rescue, and we're fully trained for that. And we assist BC Emergency Health Services, otherwise known as the ambulance, uh, when they request it. Um, we also assist BC Forest Services when they request our assistance for fighting fires that are outside of our jurisdiction. Our jurisdiction does not cover the entire island. It only covers the part that we can reach by truck where there's habitations. Um, we are also under contract to provide um, firefighting services um, on the Clahoos First Nation with a contract with the Regional District. Um, and we assist with the SRD in the eventuality of um, evacuation planning. So the uh, people are probably know that there is not a... a, a um, Detachment here for the RCMP on Cortez. Uh, so uh, we are pretty much the frontline responders for any type of emergency that happens. Um, so we, um, um, we have done our best to uh, think ahead about um, what, you know, how far our, our services can extend uh, in the eventuality of a long-term problem. And we have definite limitations. Um, a lot of people, unfortunately, don't think deeply enough about what happens when and if the ferries stop running, primarily fossil fuel pr uh, provision. Um, our fire department runs on fossil fuels. Our tr trucks are diesel-powered. When the diesel runs out in our trucks, the Essentially, the fire department is done as, a, as an operating entity. Um, we can do a certain amount of things, um, but it's, it's definitely a limitation. And it's something we're aware of. Um, we, have main, uh, we have diesel for our trucks. We've increased the amount of diesel that we can store. We've like doubled it. And I'm certainly going to keep working on making more of that available. Um, we also have diesel stocks that we need for our generators because... The other thing is electricity, which, again, we all take for granted. 
and it the grid could go down in a massive forest fire or some something and it'd be down for months possibly worst case scenario and that's what um that's what responsible people should prepare for when you live in a very remote location uh so right now we have a diesel power generator at each hall cranks up automatically when the power goes down and merrily chugs away sucking on the diesel tank uh in a very inefficient fashion uh for and making a lot of noise um for uh you know we could probably get a week maybe 10 days am i right i'm looking at e uh, captain acting captain eli mcginty who has joined us thank you eli uh but uh, it's not a great amount of time after that the power goes down the fire department also provides electricity to the clinic right so they're they're relying on us for electricity as well in a long-term emergency we also provide space uh, for the BC ambulance here, BC EHS. Uh, so uh, they are also depending on us for the integrity of our systems. Um, so anyway, we, we recognize this is a serious problem, and we are taking steps um, to put in a large-scale solar system. Um, it's been a dance trying to get the funding. We need about $50,000, but the SRD now appears to be... Um, uh, willing to make that available, and we're assembling quotes right now, and I really hope to get that off the ground this year. Now, uh, yeah, and uh, and the good news is the solar PV will give us basically indefinite um, basic electricity. We won't be able to run baseboard heaters, but we can keep our pumps working. We can recharge our batteries on our radios um, and our emergency communication equipment. Uh, computers and lights. All right, we're putting in a pretty sizable system, and it'll hopefully make the bill a little cheaper because in the summer months we'll be producing excess, and we can turn back the clock. So uh, it eventually will pay for itself over decades. Um, but that's that's actually underway right now. Um, and um, further to that, I you know I really want to emphasize that the most important thing people can do is to recognize the limitations about what the fire department can hope to achieve in a fire because we don't actually come and put out a fire and rescue your house that is that is not going to happen with a response time that can go minimum 15 20 minutes by the time we get there the debt you know the house is well underway very unlikely we're going to save the house what we're really there to do is to prevent the fire from spreading and to rescue anybody and, and offer assistance to anybody who's injured um so the best thing people can do if they really want to protect their houses is take responsibility for that. And that goes back to the FireSmart program. We have brochures here. Um, and that is really, really, it's the most important thing. People come to Cortez and they love the woods and they want to live in the woods. And the, the vulnerability of their dwelling, if they don't take responsibility for the combustible material around it, renders the fire department kind of pointless you know we're, we're there to help and everything but we're not going to be able to do much for a house that's really right in there if we get a fire a forest fire on the island there hasn't been one really since i've been here in the 12 years um last summer was very nerve-wracking because of the extreme heat we had everything was so combustible when you walked around the woods by some miracle we didn't have a fire for which everybody's obviously very grateful um but people need to actually get these brochures, look at them. There's a lot of low-cost stuff you can do to protect your house, all right? Um, and, I mean, I'm happy to answer more questions about the fire department. That gives you basic understanding. You know, I can t explain about the machinery and so on. Uh, but 
I'm going to step back a little bit and take off my my president uh, fire department hat, and I'm going to put on my plumber hat, uh, plumber and gas fitter hat, and talk about um, personal systems for people's houses. So, as uh, you know, Sadhu mentioned, people here, we've got our own septic systems, and we've got our own wells, which is great. We're not relying upon a municipal structure. The problem is that those only operate, both of those very key systems only operate when you have electricity. And when the electricity goes down, you, basically you've got the water that's in your pressure tank. You might have 10, 20 gallons. And you've got most, unfortunately, most septic systems used to be a gravity situation that would work in the event of a power outage. Um, unfortunately, insurance companies and government have decided to make things more complicated. And they've added pumps and sensors and switches, which means that, in fact, your septic system will not operate very long because the, the pump tank fills up and you don't have a, a electricity for your pump to push it into the septic field. In my opinion, a disastrous design of unnecessary overcomplication. But that's unfortunately where they've steered us. Um, so we've got these systems, and obviously on your hierarchy of needs in a disaster, you're going to want shelter, you're going to want food, medicine, water. Um, you want to do some clean, personal cleanliness, hygiene. Um, communication, and other people here are going to talk to those, so I won't get into those, but I will talk to you about power and water, all right? Um, because if you, shelter is pretty easy to have. Heat, hopefully people aren't throwing out their wood stoves. Uh, I know that the people are like, ah, I'm getting rid of my wood stove and putting in a heat pump, you know? And that's, how about you keep your wood stove, mothball it, and get your heat pump, because the heat pump needs electricity, and ba-dang, ba-ding. Of course, People are going to say, I'm going to put my generator on. Yeah, right. Okay, so no doubt you've been checking the oil and cleaning the carburetor every month. So when you go out there to yank on it, it's going to fire right up. You've got 10 gallons of gas ready to go that's been stabilized and hasn't gone rank. Um, gasoline degrades very quickly. And then, of course, there's what's, you know, having 10 gallons of in a plastic jugs of highly combustible material lying around the house, right? So... Uh, a generator is a great short-term solution if it's been looked after. It's But how long is your gas going to last? Maybe you might have a week, okay? Then you're back where you started from. So whenever people uh, when I, people come to me and, and I'm helping them getting design on their houses for their water system, power, sewage, I always try to go for the least number of moving parts. And one of the assets or one of the resources we have on Cortez is topography, uh, which is a bummer if you're a cyclist, but it's a good thing if you want to store water on your property and not have to worry about pump. So on my property, which, you know, it's fairly steep, I put cisterns up at the top of the property and the water comes down by gravity. When the power goes out, you don't even notice, okay? The hot water tank stays hot for 24, 36 hours, so there's that. You can start heating water on my wood stove and I can cook on my wood stove. Um, and I've got some batteries and that I charge out of the wall, and I hook them up to some LED lights. Very simple system, uh, not expensive, and, and you can scale it up so that you can actually provide power for your key services of your water pump and your septic pumping, right, if you're stuck with those things. Uh, there are hand-operated pumps that do operate on, on deep well applications, 
However, they're not cheap. They're like probably 1500 bucks for a stainless steel hand pump. And it's not going to give you a huge volume of water that people are used to. So pumping up water into your cisterns and having that as a reserve on your property, even if it's just a thousand gallons, all right? This cheapest water storage you can get, you can go down to Coombs and they sell thousand liter totes for 150 bucks, food grade. It's a plastic tote in a metal frame. Um, you can put that on the high point of your property and hook a garden hose up to it. Filling it, you fill it with your well during the good times and then, or rainwater off your roof, if you can do that. Um, in my particular situation, I pump out of a local creek once every few months and fill up my cisterns. I always have 6,000 gallons throughout the summer sitting there as a reserve for gardening. And it's also useful for firefighting. So personal firefighting. Get yourself a good quality Honda pump, one and a half inch outlet. Drain the carburetor regularly and check it. Run it every month, which I never do. Um, and, and hopefully do some fire drills with the family. Um, it's kind of fun to play around with a one and a half inch hose uh, and shooting it around. Um, so, so that is a brilliant idea. Um, not enough people do it. Not enough people check their fire pumps regularly. But if you can respond to a fire on your property with something better than a garden hose, you have, by huge orders of magnitude, increased the chances that you're, uh, you're going to save your house and your neighbor's house. All right? Um, the fire department always needs more volunteers. So, you know, they're kind of thin on the ground right now. We're doing a little better than we were during the pandemic. But I, it's, it's a great uh, organization to join. We've got free training. Um, stipends. We look after our volunteers very well, and we've got great people, but we could really use some more. Um, and uh, so I, that's a very unashamed plug. And we need some board members too, because I'm getting burned out. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so if you're interested in, in joining the board, please come and talk to me afterwards. Um, it's not a hugely onerous um, task and uh, very, very rewarding. Um, so the, on the hierarchy there, um, prevention is, is always the best. Uh, I don't need to tell you the details on that. It's pretty common sense, and it's in these books, really. Look at your FireSmart thing. It doesn't cost a lot of money. Um, there's not a lot of technology there to be worried about. How am I doing for time? Blathering away. Good? All right. Um, so um, the other thing about, yeah, water uh, is to think about is, yes, water for firefighting. Um, dig an outhouse. Dig an outhouse. Then you've eliminated the entire sewage problem and flushing and everything. And they work 12 months a year, even when it's 20 below zero, right? So if you get a freeze up, you can go out to your outhouse. My, I have three on my property, and they all have high-speed Wi-Fi. So you're not going to get bored, right? Um, so, um, and when you've got that water, uh, so that's you know, a huge one there. You've solved the, uh, the personal sewage problem. Um, and you can do gray water, dump it into the garden, that kind of stuff. Just don't tell the regional district health unit. Um, and obviously, you've got this water and you want to drink it. So um, there, we know probably you know about putting bleach in water, boiling it, but boiling it needs energy. So you got to use your propane or you got to use uh, um, electricity again. So and it doesn't taste very good. So I'm a big uh, fan of ceramic low-pressure water filters. A lot of people know the Berkey system. It's two stacked buckets, stainless steel. You can also just buy the cartridges online and make it out of two plastic buckets. And you pour the water in the top and the gravity falls through and you have a spigot. 
That's what I drink. And I use, I'm using surface water. It's the stream that rolls through the gorge, right? And I haven't got sick yet. Um, so my guess is maybe not. I don't know. So um, you, uh, so there, that is a good solution, which doesn't require electricity. You can also get under, uh, under uh, counter models, which can work on low pressure from a gravity, like even 10 or 20 pounds pressure. It'll go through the ceramic filters, and you've got water at point of source that's cleaned by the ceramics. The ceramic filters last for years. You just take them out every few months, clean them off, and put them back in. So, uh, you know, sterilizers, again, a lot of moving parts. You have to buy the bulbs, and you need electricity. So, and again, they're expensive systems to put in and maintain. So keep it simple, stupid, is a great idea. And whenever you're thinking about emergency long-term preparedness. Um, and uh, um, so, yeah, I covered electricity. Look into PV systems. You can get a, just a basic batteries and it eliminates the need. Most of what we want electricity for in a power outage situation is for lights, get our computers charged, charge our phones. For a thousand bucks, you can get a couple of panels, a couple of deep cycle batteries, a very simple inverter, put it in a box, and it's always there. and You don't have to worry about it firing up the generator. Um, and one last, I'm, I'm going to probably wrap it up about there. I think that's been long enough. But uh, I, I will say another thing is um, when you're buying your systems for your houses, and this is not just for emergency preparedness, but for anything to do with living on a remote island, uh, is, is if, if, you're, if it says smart, it's a really stupid idea. Okay? Smart fridges, stoves, and on and on. Uh, they have a lot of circuits in them, and when they screw up, I, nobody can fix them on the spot. You can't even get the company to answer the phone to tell you how to troubleshoot it. I just installed a smart dishwasher. It cost $1,000. didn't work from the start, and we can't talk to anybody about how to fix it. So these are just a really bad idea at any point in time, and especially bad idea here. So when you're buying your pumps, when you're buying your water purification, uh, any system you're putting into the house, a stove, if it plugs in, try, that's not a good idea. When you buy a stove, a propane stove, get one that doesn't plug in. Then you can't get fried with brownouts. You will save a lot of money, and it'll work for you when you need it. So uh, I'll be around. I'm always in the phone book. If you ever have any questions about the fire department or um, want to get involved, we've got a lot of projects. We're looking for a new chief right now, and we're going to be... Um, starting up uh, a lot of new initiatives and with, with long-term um, preparedness in mind. So thank you all for coming out here on a beautiful day. And thank you so much again to Manda. I have a couple of questions, but I, we're gonna, I'm going to hold them to the end because we're all going to have so many questions. We're going to bring up so many amazing people. So hopefully you'll still be around, and if not, Eli will answer them, I bet, or make up answers. But I also want to do a little plug, which is that the FireSmart um, program is doing a big plug around neighborhood preparedness. And right now, they may still have spaces. Um, you can sign up with, with at least two of your neighbors. There has to be at least three of you and as many as, I think, 15 to 19 of you that sign up. And they'll come both do a FireSmart um, plan for your neighborhood and go through your individual house with you uh, and property and help you figure out what you need to do, what you can do, and what resources are available. And that is all free right now if you apply, uh, and it's through the SRD. So 
I just feel like there's not anybody who ought not to be doing that at this point because, I mean, great. It's great. Okay, so um, next we're going to turn our focus a little bit more towards health. Um, and we have Isabel LaPlante. And we, and we don't have Kim, right? Okay, great. Uh, yeah, ta- uh, oh, do you guys want to be together? I have Tam or... And, okay, great. Uh, so excuse us, this is what happens with live, with live radio. So Isabel LaPlante is going to join us. She is a nurse and also here to talk about the CCHA, uh, the Cortez Community Health Association. So um, what I'm hoping we're going to learn a little bit uh, through this time is both what we have, like what's the plan? And then also, you know, I just keep thinking about like we're here, we're here for at least 72 days. I, I believe it's going to be way longer than that before anyone thinks, oh no, there's all those people who haven't gotten their diabetes medicine on Cortez, right? So what do we do? What are we going to do after, you know, everyone's after the, you know, the first three days or whatever? Thanks, Amanda. Good to be here. So as you said, I'm Isabel. I've been a nurse here for a couple of years at the clinic. And uh, yeah, I kind of started to get interested and involved a bit with the emergency program this last year. And then I kind of lost track of it with like everything else. And then bringing this up again, it's like, oh yeah, so what do we do? And how do we organize ourselves like at the clinic and who does what? So so that's on ongoing. And I think in the next little while, I really want to really clarify the roles of like who would do what. Um, so yeah, so... As most of you know, like at the clinic, we have local doctors that come every week. So we usually have a, we have a core of like four or five doctors that come regularly throughout the year. And we have doctors that come from all over BC. We have a doctor that's from the Yukon right now. So, so that's this context as well. And then we have a, like, as you said, Chris, like we have a limited amount of like capacity as well. Like we're two nurses. And, um, yeah, so, in case of an emergency, like to answer your question, um, I think not holding off until the last minute to like renew your medication or having like a good, a good amount of them in your home. So it's like you're not going to run out tomorrow and then everybody's freaking out to get their prescription. Um, I just had a chat with Pauline, the pharmacist, this morning because I just wanted to check in around. So yeah, if there's no fairies, like how do we get our meds? Like is there like specific, um, things around that and she said that yeah we would just do what we had to do like if a, a private boat would go through, go, go to quadra and get the medication and bring them back um she was saying that in gold river a few years ago the the roads got washed out and um i think a logging crew was going from campbell to, to gold river and then that's how they delivered the medication so in extreme circumstances i think there'd be ways to to make that happen but I think, yeah, um, to be prepared um, and to look ahead and to make sure that you have enough medicines, that your prescriptions are renewed because we'll be pretty bogged down with, like, everything else as well. Um, the role of the clinic itself and, like, so the CCHA, as you were saying, like, runs the operations of the clinic. I'm hired by Viva. The doctors kind of have their own private contract, so it's kind of a little bit, like, there's different portions of it um, and last week we didn't have a doctor on site so it's like that's also um, something to consider that that might be a time when there's no doctor 
and we have to do everything over the phone. Um, so the basic, I think our basic role will be to triage and to take care of like who's most emergent, what we call like walkie-talkies, like people that can walk and talk would probably go to the school. So um, as most of you know here on Cortez, the wonderful thing with this area is that everything's really close together. The school's in front of the clinic, the fire hall's just beside us, and as you were saying, Chris, you guys provide us electricity when there's no electricity. And I'm really excited to hear that there's a solar system coming. Because, uh, yeah, electricity is great. You know, it's really handy. <laughs> it's really handy, especially when it's cold. Like, you know, when it's cold out and we've got vaccines, like thousands of dollars worth. So, like, when the fridges go down, goes down, it's a, it's a really big deal. Um, and so, as I was saying, that, yeah, we'd be triaging and taking care of the emergent people and, and obviously, like, communicating with uh, emergency responders. So we have walkie-talkies, and we could connect with the emergency services at the school. We don't have a way to communicate with walkie-talkies with, like, the ambulance, or but we're also all close together, so we can just talk to each other. So that that's just kind of the name of the game at this moment, anyways, unless that change unless that changes. Um, and then we just have to figure it out, like either a helicopter, like what's what's the capacity of like the province to respond. To this was the capacity of the ambulance to bring people across if there is a ferry. Um, I'm just bringing it a little closer. <laughs> um, that's the live thing. Um, yeah, so yeah, so that's that's kind of that in a nutshell. Like we we stabilize the people that are most um, needing stabilization and everything that's like more. Uh, minor, like we, yeah, would go to the school. Um, and then we'd have to, to see as well, like what venue is most appropriate at that time. If there's no electricity, if there's no toilets at the school. I was talking with Sandy, one of our MOAs. So it's like, would it be Madsen's Hall in this case? And, um, and then having Cortez Radio and like communicate that information to everybody else on the island, um, for them to know what to do. So that's, that's, I think, the idea. Um, I have to go in a few moments because I've got a bunch of appointments for this afternoon. So if there's any specific questions for me right now, I can open. I've got the first question because uh, <laughs> I always do. So um, is there an official like VHA uh, protocol? Like, okay, nurses in remote communities, when everything is done, is there an expectation that you're going to now leave your family and come to work and work 24-7 to meet the needs in this little community where there's just a handful of nurses and probably no doctor? Or would that be something that we're just sort of hoping that from your good Samaritanness that we all know that you have and, and your desire for volunteers that, they're that the nurses are just going to show up and do that for us? Mm. That's a good question. I don't think that's a good question. I'll have to look into it to, to be honest. You know, it's like how much... We can show up within what capacity as well. Like right now, many communities have 24-hour on-call service. We don't have this here. You know, we're, the weekends, it's the ambulance are there. I think right now the doctors will be more available during the off hours. But, um, um, yeah, I, is this okay for the sound? Um, oops, sorry. <laughs> Killed by the mic. <laughs> 
I, I'd have to look into it, to be honest. Like, yeah, within like, we, we're two nurses. What can we do? There might be, you know, maybe one of the nurses is off island. So it's like, what does the other person do? And do we call in other people that have also first aid and retired nurses that could help out too? And kind of, I think at, at this point, like seeing who our people are and, you know, the ambulance services, like, yeah, like nurses are, are part of a, a broader system as well. And just seeing what our capacity is. Um So like a, a mix of Samaritan, I don't know if there's a protocol, but there's a lot of really good resources around how do we get prepared for a disaster. So, and we're looking to implement that more and more. And it, yeah, it takes a bit of time to figure it all out. So did, when, when you go back today, you'll be like, ah, Amanda was asking scary questions. We need to have a plan. Uh, Chris Walker, did you have a question and or something you wanted to add to that? How much does the uh, clinic do in terms of intentional stockpiling of um, medical supplies? Like, for instance, burn dressings or something like that, you know, ass assuming the worst there would be a forest fire and all of a sudden you've got 50 people showing up with serious burns. Like, um, do they have any kind of intention or plan about having a stockpile, given that we are um, relatively remote location? Thanks, Chris. Um, to, to some extent, you know, both right now, like at the clinic, we're pretty maxed out in terms of space. Like there's not a lot of room to stockpile a lot of for like every eventuality. Um, ambulance station has a good amount of medical supplies as well. So I think between the two of us, we could probably cover most eventualities. Um, that's my answer. But I've spoken to Kim, like Kim Robertson, the hermetic chief around that too being like okay so how much of the this stuff do you have and how much do we have and if there was like a big casualty could we handle most things and i think we could um yeah and then you know if it's really serious things then it they'd have to be shipped off island you know if possible in whatever way that that would look like you know so yeah Yeah, and I guess we don't really have a sense, but I have to imagine that if it were really uh, a major earthquake, that the capacity to ship people off the island would be pretty minimal. And that's something to consider before you think you're <laughs> you're getting a great deal on that. <laughs> Not that there's any great deals on, on houses on Cortez anymore. Any other questions that people have? People can't call in with questions because I can't go that far. But you can, if you have questions here... Um, okay, well, then we, we, maybe we should have a one moment break where we listen to music and before we call up Tamara, who's going to take us even deeper into our, um, home health preparedness and our community health preparedness. And, uh, so, but I at least feel like I need, we've, we've covered so much. So how about a little ACDC to just relax us um, into the next part? It's embarrassing all the stupid things I can think of.
This is Shot Down in Flames by ACDC, and you are listening to a Folk You live show here on CKTZ 89.5 FM. We are both doing a little bit of a sound check and also just letting you know that, hey, why not rush down and be part of the live event and help you get prepared? Um, All right, let's just have a little bit more. ACDC because come on. All right, you're listening to Folk U Radio's live show. We are talking about getting Cortez prepared. But really, I feel like we've covered quite a bit that would help you no matter where you are, but particularly if you're in a remote community. I am extra excited uh, for the next guest, Tamara McPhail. Yeah, McPhail! (laughs) We're going to rebrand her. Um, Tamara has in the past done an entire folk you on just getting your home medicine kit ready. Uh, So today we're going to try to take you to get us to go as far as we can, both in how we're going to be prepared um, as families, as maybe even uh, an island, um, all the way down to as individuals and this idea of what should we be stockpiling at home for our own emergency medical um, needs. Uh, And if you're at home, you can't see, but Tamara showed up in her full BC ambulance gear. So she looks very <laughs> official. I feel safe. Um, and, and I, I want to say that I, I, I had a moment after, um, Isabel was talking where I was, I had just a little bit of panic where I was like, Oh, we are maybe as an Island from our, our health kind of medical care perspective, a little bit less, 
organized or prepared than I was hoping. But Isabel did say uh, to me that they, they, this event really has gotten them thinking at the clinic a little bit more about what is their plan? What are we doing? And so that is what the big hope is, right? That we will all use this as an opportunity, not just to think, are we prepared, but actually to start making the, the next steps. Um, so uh, woohoo, Tamara. Uh-huh. Wow, okay, woohoo. <laughs> well, hi, everybody. I'm Tamara. Um, I'm a community paramedic here on Cortez Island. Uh, you want me to hold that? Okay. I'm also a member of the Emergency Social Services uh, Organization, and I'm also an organic farmer. So uh, I've been thinking a lot about this, and yeah, thank you for organizing, because it is true. It's The more that we talk about it, the more that we normalize it, the more that we're prepared for it. So... Whew, big one. Uh, last summer was definitely um, one of those moments where I think it was the first time. Well, okay, maybe I had these thoughts 25 years ago when I thought it would be a good idea to bake in a wood stove. <laughs> and I thought I would write a book all about it, but then I thought who would buy it. But maybe I should have written that book because I could actually be selling it right now. Like, be prepared, learn how to bake in your wood stoves. Um, anyways, uh, so here we are you know, in 2022, and we're, you know, catastrophically uh, tumbling down this road. So emergency preparedness, uh, community preparedness, family preparedness, and individual preparedness, I think, are all different lenses that we can look at. Um, So as a paramedic, um, I started asking people, what does your first aid kit look like? What do you stockpile in your house? How do you feel prepared? Like, what do you do to feel actually prepared? Um, And having been called to many friends' houses when they've had an emergency, not as a paramedic, but as somebody that is paramedic trained, uh, when I show up, I used to just show up because half the time I was busy doing something else and I'd run to their house and they'd have their first aid kit out on the table and they'd have their finger wrapped in toilet paper holding it above their heart and I'd look at what they were doing and what was in their first aid kit and I was like oh crap I didn't bring my first aid kit because nothing in that first aid kit I mean the toilet paper and the scotch tape that's that's as good as we're going to get right now um so I started saying you know maybe maybe you need to have um some strips or some butterfly closures or some first aid tape in your first aid kit um so I started encouraging more people. I also started encouraging myself to build my own little kit to have in my car. So when I do have those emergencies, I'm showing up at friends' houses or community members' houses um, with the gear that's needed. Because oftentimes, I think probably 95% of my get called as a friend call is because somebody's really sliced or pruned their finger instead of what they were supposed to be cutting or pruning. So um Anyways, I I was talking to Max today, who's also a paramedic. We're hanging out at the ambulance station every day between 8 to 4, just FYI. Not me and Max, but there's paramedic staffed here on Cortez Island now. So we have these like long moments where we get to communicate with each other uh, because we don't have uh, emergencies that are taking us out of the station every day. So I often come in with like, what am I going to talk to my partner about today conversation? And today I was like, so what do you got in your first aid kit? Do you have a first aid kit in your car? What do you think?
think about first aid. Not like as a not as a 911 paramedic, but um, Max actually gave me this idea, and I thought this was so good, and it kind of um, really went along the lines of what I was thinking. So there's first aid, which is like your 911 emergency, like somebody's bleeding or somebody's having a heart attack, and then there's your second aid, and it kind of feels like this. Uh, community resiliency piece and what we're talking about right now is actually based more on second aid um, because ideally with first aid you can have that prefab first aid kit that you purchased from what is that organization in Campbell River um, St. John's Ambulance you can get all different uh, levels from home to car to level one level two level three and you can have all of this gear in it but if you don't know how to use it it's kind of you know, a bit of recycled plastic or, you know, tools that you just don't quite know how to use so you may not use. Um, whereas like the, the, second, the second kit idea is more of like your medicine and your band-aids and things that you're going to need for the longevity of it. Um, so breaking things down into first aid and second aid. Um, and then the third thing that I wanted to, that I think is probably the most important piece is uh, mostly around education. Um, because if we don't know how to respond to an emergency, if we don't know how to package a wound, if we don't know how to stop a major bleed or call for help or support somebody that's critically injured out of where they're critically injured, um, then we probably are making things a little bit worse. Um, so yeah, our first aid kit is our trauma kit. That's the, you come upon a car accident, there's been an earthquake, somebody's house has toppled over, somebody's got a major burn, you know, some of those big trauma things. Our first aid kits, we've got big, big pieces in it. We've got ways to stop bleeding. So we've got abdominal pads, we've got first aid tape, we've got strips, we've got butterfly closures. We have some tourniquets too. Um, and then our second aid uh, kit is um, maybe now, you know, talking about what Chris was talking about, like water purification, um, emergency blankets, because uh, those things are great. They pack down. You can put them in your pocket. They're going to keep you warm in an emergency. We all know what they look like, right? Like tinfoil space kits. They might stop evil gamma rays from the universe coming towards us. <laughs> That's right. They're scary. And if you don't move, zombies can't see you if you're wrapped in a blanket. Um, yeah. So uh, our second aid kit is probably a little bit bigger stocked. Maybe we've got freeze dried food. Maybe we've got uh, flashlights and maybe a walkie talkie. But what good is a walkie talkie if somebody doesn't have the other walkie talkie? Maybe we have a ham radio in there. Um, maybe we've the solar charger. Yeah, that's a really good idea. Now you can get so many great compact things. Um, but you do definitely need to pull that stuff out and play with it. Because if you pack everything and then you don't recharge everything, it's in essence as useless as a tool that you don't know how to use. Um, yeah, so one of the other things is not just about your medications that you're on. Um, you know, those are really important. And uh, Isabel and uh, Chris both spoke to it. But it's also like things that you may not know that you need that you actually need. So having antihistamines, for instance, that's a really big one that I often carry, even though I don't really need them. A lot of times people do need them. So if they've been stung by something, they've had a reaction to something, those are really great sort of over-the-counter drugs to have. Um trying to think of what other over-the-counter drugs that I would use. 
Yeah, pain analgesics. Yeah, that's a really good one. Um, one of the things that I will be offering, like Manda said, I did do One Folk University, uh, and in collaboration as as the community paramedic on Cortez and a member of Emergency Social Services, I will be hosting some How to Build Your Own First Aid Kids. Um, so that uh, we'll, I'll be able to actually like, pull out a bunch of gear and show people how to use them and. You know, because some people are like, what is a Steri-Strip? Or how do you make Steri-Strips out of first aid tape? That's one of my favorite things to do. Um, so I'll be able to actually have a bunch of stuff that people can uh, build their own kit with. And we can um, learn how to use some tools together. Because I do believe that education, uh, community resiliency is best served by having educated people. So if you are not trained in first aid, Maybe look at what kind of first aid courses are coming, because there will be some coming to Cortez. Um, and know who in your neighborhood is trained, because oftentimes, you know, everybody's like, oh, I've got OFA3, I've got OFA2, like, oh, I did this life-saving first aid course. Like, a lot of people have taken it. So um, in our community, I live in a community where there's about 12 different people. And then I also live in, like, a smaller that's my small community. In my larger community, there's a bunch of us. So I have a pretty big trauma kit um, that's ready to just grab and go. Everybody knows where it is. So if I say, like, I need this, it's in the office. People know how to grab it. Um, and then I also have first aid kits kind of all over the place, depending on uh, who's doing what and in what location. So if you're in the kitchen, there's a burn kit and an eye wash kit. And um, if you're in the shop, there's, you know, again, you're probably going to cut yourself or burn yourself. So that equipment is in that area. So really just think worst case scenario uh, and then plan for that. First aid uh, supplies, even though they say they expire, does a Band-Aid really expire? Like, yeah, does dry out. I found uh, a fantastic uh, first aid kit from the 1970s. I think it says Johnson & Johnson on it. It's in a metal kit. And inside of that, there's like a, a snake uh, venom sucker outer. And there's like, of course, there's a ton of like uh, cloth bandages, like in case somebody needs to like brace their arm. And then there's always like gauze and cotton that they used to just sell like loose it kind of looked like what they would make a santa claus beard out of so that was all still in there and you know what it still looked fine it was from the 1970s now i've actually taken all of that stuff out and packed it and that that one sits uh actually in uh, in my car right now um so even though like i thought today i was like on the radio i can't really bring a lot of things to showcase but i wanted people to really think along the lines of like first response and that first response is like your emergent responses. It's the the bleeds, the burns, the people that can't look after themselves. Uh, and then that second, that second first aid kit or second aid kit um, is is the ones where you're going to be tucked in for a little while and what you would need to do to prepare, be prepared for them. Don't go anywhere because there's going to be questions. Uh, but first, I'm going to let you know you're listening to Folk U Radio here on CKTZ 89.5 FM. And we are doing a live show with a real audience. Woohoo! Today, we're talking about are you prepared? And we're talking about the big one. So, not just like are you prepared for something little that may happen, but when it goes on and on and on, and everyone you thought that was going to come to your aid was eaten by a zombie, then are you still prepared? Um, so, I have a couple of uh, big questions um, for you before I let you go. So, the first one is. Um, so, we, we heard already from the clinic uh, and. 
I'm wondering whether there's a little bit more of an understanding amongst the ambulance uh, and the paramedic service on the island about what your official role is after, say, a big earthquake or a big disaster versus um, when your official role ends and what, like, you know, do you have a sort of when, you know, second aid kit version of <laughs> and then what? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, no, I mean, I think uh, we all kind of have an understanding, uh, and this isn't a BC Ambulance thing. I think this is a court, like Cortez Island paramedics that are employed by BC Ambulance. Um, but uh, I believe that we all have an understanding that if we're needed in that kind of capacity outside of when we actually are carrying our pagers that um, we've made it known that we'll show up. So if there is a big, um, if there is the big one, like if I show up as an individual um, to assist, uh, that's sort of my decision, but we don't have a personal stance. And that's a good question that I could be asking. Like, you know, I imagine that if we're going to set up, um, like a first aid station, you know, across the street from the ambulance station or pull the ambulance out and just like drive around and see if anybody needs help, um, that we would probably put the call out to everybody, uh, on the ambulance crew and whoever could show up would show up. Yeah. Although what we learned is that the call will go out for about seven days and then you're radios will no longer be charged and then we will have i we hope a bunch of people who have decided to take a ham radio course which is also there is one being offered and if you sign up to be a ham radio volunteer the cost of the course which is only like 150 dollars, is reimbursed to you so uh, that i also found out about from sean from the regional district and can get you more information on if you'd like to know more you can email me at you, the letter U at folk you, F O L K U dot C A. Um, so that little pitch uh, is to get more people trained to be able to run their own ham radios. But now let's go deeper into the second aid kit idea. I really like that. And one of the things that Sean Koopman did say in that second aid kit, he didn't call it that because he didn't have such a cool name for it, um, that we should have our little walkie talkies because then at least if everybody in your neighborhood has a walkie talkie, you're going to get on the same frequency and you're going to be able to communicate with each other. So um, you do want to have walkie talkies. Um, there's apparently kind of like, you know, souped up versions that maybe are less legal that you can also get. Um, but that I'm not promoting that on the radio. Just, th yeah, this conversation, there's no record of it. Um, so let's talk about a few more detailed things that you'd want in the second aid kit. One of the things that I would like all of you to consider is to have a naloxone kit because it's pretty depressing when everyone you know has been eaten by a zombie. So like there might be things happening that we're not expecting, uh, including overdoses and, um, so I, I'm a big, I took a naloxone course through Focio, <laughs> uh, session and I'm pretty big fan of that. I'm wondering, um, what other kinds of things you would say, you know, like, let's just go a little deeper. What else, what else would be in there? Whoa. Yeah. Um, yeah. So naloxone, well, that's great. Uh, but I guess if, if the big one happens, maybe our drug supply is cut off too. So maybe nobody's going to be overdosing. 
Homegrown, homegrown <laughs> fentanyl, live on Cortez. Um, yeah, I think yes. Uh, naloxone kit is great. Um, we did do. We set up at the farmers market last week uh, for some naloxone training, and we're going to be there again um, in the next coming weeks. So uh, look for the ambulance sometimes set up and uh, come and learn how to utilize a kit if you don't. And if you are interested in utilizing a kit, just reach out to the ambulance station because uh, I'd be happy to hang out with you and show you how to do it. Um, so I think that that second aid kit concept um, is really just about having your basic first aid supplies. Um, I think I believe that the um, having some of the over-counter, I think the analgesic is really good. Um, things that you don't think that you would utilize. I often would have uh, kids antihistamine medication too because uh, you know, people will get sinus infections, people will get stings and, and feel sick. So if you don't have access to a doctor and you don't have access to the clinic, I think some of those uh, blister packed um, drugs would be good. Um, yeah, I don't I'm not really sure if there's anything else that I would put in there besides your basic first aid stuff, which would be all of your band-aids and you're not going to learn how to do sutures or anything like that or Maybe. <laughs> People might need to. Yeah, but you can order all of that stuff online, sutures and things like that. But And look at you, look up YouTube and figure out how to do it. <laughs> yeah, but I think the, the best thing to do, and I keep coming back to it, is education. Because, um, and, and you know, like knowing who in your community has what skill. Because, yes, we can depend on our radios and we can depend on a variety of different mechanisms of communication, but like nothing's going to be better than face to face in these moments because we are going to be scared and we are going to be cut off and, um, we are going to need to have the ability to gather a little bit more. Um, and that might just be supporting each other, uh, you know, making sure that we understand where those ES, because we do have the emergency social services piece here too. And there are reception centers. Like if people's houses aren't working out, if people aren't warm or don't have gravity fed water or flushable toilets or an outhouse, like we do have designated centers on, uh, Cortez, uh, Linnea Farm Education Center is one of those. And it's highly stocked with first aid supplies. So come on over if you have an emergency. I'll be there. Um, yeah. So I think that being best prepared means like having all of your gear and, you know, being well stocked to, um, like the, the ambulance we are, when Kim does do orders, we do keep a little bit of extra stuff or order a little bit extra. And we do have multi-casualty incident kits that we have in the back room as well. So, uh, we are, we are thinking a little bit longer term, um, and imagining because we all, I think we all inherently have those skill sets that, uh, we know what it feels like when the ferries don't run and it's for a short period of time and we can be super irritated when we're like, the ferries aren't running today. Um, so we inherently do stockpile supplies a little bit more. It's, it's I think, in our nature, a little bit pack radish. Um, but do yourself a favor and head on over to the Shoppers Drug Mart or London Drugs. Oftentimes they do have first aid stuff for sale, like on sale. Uh, and that's often when I stock up all of my gear. So you, I don't feel like you could have too many band-aids and go for the really big band-aids. Don't just go for the little finger ones, go for the big patches, like think big and think beyond yourself and have enough supplies for you, your family and your community. I'm not letting you go quite yet because the other thing that you may have caught um, is that, oh, yeah, uh, uh, is that Tamara is also an organic gardener. 
And so I, I feel like, like talking about medicine and also growing, um, can we, can you tell us a little bit about like, what are the three things that everyone should be growing? I mean, this is kind of, I think like, you know, the third aid kit, right? Like here we are now it's the third month and we're like, you know, still going on. What could we be growing in our gardens that we like, not just to feed ourselves, but also to heal ourselves? Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> three, uh, three things that we could be growing to heal ourselves. Um, well, I actually think probably the majority of the things that we need to heal ourselves can be wildcrafted, uh, more than just grown, um, knowing your, uh, local edible medicinal plants. Um, oftentimes I think like as an organic farm, let me just take my vest off and put on my overalls for a second. Um, uh, I do feel like, um, yeah, local organic food, um, is a really big deal, especially on a small Island like this, uh, storage crops. That's kind of epic. I'm not going to choose my, my, Oh, I can't even talk about just three vegetables, so I'm just going to categorize them. Uh, have your storage crops, because those can last all winter. You don't need to have a fridge. You just ha- need to have something that's cool and kept out of the frost. You can Google storage um, root cellars, build it yourself. We've dug bunkers. We've built a variety of really awful-looking uh, root cellars. But now we've got a really good one, so I'm not going to go into root cellars. But storage crops are fantastic. Uh, YouTube is a wealth of information as to, like how to store a variety of root crops uh and then canned food i mean i mean canned food will only last for a certain amount of years according to health canada standards but i've done some experiments where they've lasted a little longer than just a few years and i'm fine um so i think learning food preservation skills on top because you don't have to grow everything like there was a time maybe 20 years ago when i was like i can do everything. And now I'm like, I'm going to do some of it. Um, so even if you don't have a gardener access to a garden, there are times where there are lots of foods that you can learn how to produce, uh, learn how to produce a product out of, um, and preserve it for eating at another time. Like I make a ton of zucchini chips cause who doesn't need a lot of zucchini in the, uh, in the summertime. Like I, I have been guilty of putting zucchinis in people's cars if they park in the Linnea farm parking lot. Uh, but I also do dehydrate a lot of them. And then that lasts for a long period of time um we've been talking about kate madigan's gonna talk all about freeze-dried stuff because that she's a big proponent of that so that's also a really good way um again freezers don't work anymore so i'm kind of pooched i'm gonna be having some huge parties about with all the beef in our freezers and we'd be like come on everybody we're gonna have some big cookouts because uh, if if the power grid does go down and we run out of gasoline uh we do use freezers for a lot of our products um but I do think like fermentation is a really good way of um, getting nutrient dense food, um, learning how to preserve your own stuff and then learning. OK, those are three fermentation, food preservation and learning local and um, medicinal plants that grow around you. And I would be happy to share all of that stuff, too. Yeah. Plus, like basically a politician, the, the level of skill of taking a kind of mediocre question and giving a fantastic answer. <laughs> <laughs> well done. We are impressed. Um, all right. Well, we'll 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 save some additional questions for last because next we have I, the list just goes on and on. What a focio! Wow. <laughs> next we have Cleo, who is going to talk to us a little bit about both uh, the radio station. Um, 
did with Cleo's help, uh, did a little bit of a survey around emergency preparedness and the community and where we are. But also, uh, I don't think we have a lot of answers around this, but I think this gets us started around what we have and do not have for communication once the whole grid is down. Um, so we'll, we'll, you know, we'll at least bring up the questions. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about the survey. Okay, well, we've said this before, first before I start uh, talking about CKT, that I want to say how important this show is for our island and how great it is that lots of the responders, the initiatives on this island are here and are listening, um, hopefully, to this as well, and that there'll be lots of conversation in the next board meetings, I hope, because these are things that, yeah, are super important, and if systems aren't in place, they need to be, right? They need to be. Uh, So thank you for this show. Okay. So CKTZ, Cortez Community Radio, has made it part of its mandate to cross the divide between these first responders and people in their homes. So one of the things that we can do is receive the information from the SRD and local responders and pass it along through the radio to the community. So one of the things that you can put in your third aid kit (laughs) is a hand crank radio, a radio that works without needing to be plugged in, any kind of radio um, we'll give you access to this. So currently, we are um, putting a system in place, and we've started doing this at the radio station where we're broadcasting four times a day the news updates, right? So it's not just about, like, you know, fun news, what's going on, but also the DJs, we are expecting the DJs to communicate, are there any emergency situations? Um, you know, are there road closures? Are there... Uh, weather reports that you need to be aware of, that kind of stuff. So that is starting and has started, and we're hoping that people will tune in and just, those are, you know, half hour, 50 minutes to half hour little broadcast that you can just see, hey, is there, is there anything I need to know? Tune in to CKTZ at 9.5 FM. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. If your internet's still working during an emergency event. Um... So yeah, it's it's one of the technologies that can withstand disaster events on the island, right? So we don't have any more um, electricity, we don't have any internet, but we are able to still transmit uh, through the radio waves because the radio station is equipped with power, um, additional power in case of loss of power. And right now it's a four, uh, I think it's like a, I have my notes here eight-hour backup for transmission, but we're soon going to have a 14-day transmission backup, so a a propane generator. That's going to be coming this year. And, yeah, what else did I want to say about that? Currently, we do have, like I said, a regular practice of uh, communicating through those four time slots during the day, um, and we actually need more volunteers. Someone who is interested... Shocker, we need more volunteers. Someone who is interested in showing up at the radio station for, as I said, a 15 minute, maybe 30 minutes out of your day to read just the news, what's going on. You read what's on Tideline, you read the weather. Um, and if there is a, an, a, an emergency event, some kind of disaster happening, you're also going to be uh, reporting that. 
So is it something that takes a lot of time out of your day? No. Is it something that's fun? Yes, totally. It's super fun to be. And it's also, it feels good to be a part of our community in that way. So reach out to us if that's something that you're interested in. You don't need to do a full show. You just show up, read something, and uh, have your voice on the radio and feel like a star. <laughs> okay, so we did do this uh, little survey. We've had 33 responses. All right, so that's not that bad, but I feel like we could get more responses from our survey. The survey is entitled, What is CKTZ's role during an emergency? We want to know, is CKTZ um, currently offering everything that our community wants in terms of um, emergency communication? One of the questions we asked was, do you have a battery or hand crank radio? Any guesses on how many Cortesians have out of these 33 responses? <laughs> well, it's actually a half and half, pretty much. 42% said no, 57% said yes. So that's, and do you rely on radio broadcast? It's a similar response as well. 51% said no, 48% said yes. So I feel like that's something that's good. We can build on that. You know, we've already got a good base there. Um, if we are offering per consistent broadcasts that are live, someone on the radio that's telling you what's the status of Cortez. That's an interesting thing for people to, um, to tune into. Uh, some other questions were, which sources do you access for local information? Something's going on. Welcome back to Folky Radio here on CKTZ 89.5 FM. We had a little power lapse um, and now are hopefully back on the mic. And, yeah, the, and the power bar um, died. The power bar died. Not the power, but the power bar. So it's an yeah, yeah. It's 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 just a little, just a tiny micro disaster. <laughs> this it wasn't the zombies, so don't worry. No, no matter what your neighbors say. So we were just at this climatic moment where we were talking about where Cortesians go for. Information. for the information about what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. But I just I want to make a note before I continue. We did have a, a minor disaster, but Sean was prepared. Sean, you know, our our awesome tech guy here at the radio, probably the one who started the radio too, I don't know. But yeah, he he's prepared. So that's a really great example of, you know, those people in our community that are prepared. That guy knows what he's doing. So thank you, Sean. Um, so we're back, yes. So during a power outage or extreme weather event, which sources do you access for local information? Most people say word of mouth. And 53% say online sources. And then we've got the SRD rocket system, which is actually switching to a different system. So be aware of a text message that you will be receiving and follow that link. It is not a spam scam message. Uh, they are switching out there their um, system from rocket to, I don't know what it's called, the new one. I, I hope it has as fun of a name as rocket. And then 40% said CKTZ. So that's pretty cool. Like I said, we do have uh, a little base to, to, to uh, work on, but I'm hoping that it will become something that this community actually does rely on because we've seen it happen in lots of other places um, where there is a major disaster and the radio station is the only place that 
or the only system that is able to still work and get the message to people in their homes. Get the message where you should go, what you should be doing, what's happening, and all that stuff. Speaking of which, I, w- I thought it was interesting. Um, we asked people, what do you want the message to be? What are we sending out there? And most people, look at my notes here. What information is most important to you? Um, where to go for services. So that's interesting to me because where to go for services, I mean, we got a tiny island here, you know, like just go downtown, right? <laughs> I mean, but um, yeah, I mean, anyways, where to go for services and what is the hazard, what action to take. Those are the three. Oh, and the evacuation. Um, uh, the evacuation message or whatever, where where we're supposed to go if we are to leave the island. I think most of us are hoping to be able to stay on the island, though, when an emergency event happens, right? So hopefully we can continue to be prepared and be more prepared for that eventuality. What Cortez Island organizations do you trust? <laughs> That is fire halls, paramedics, and the SCCA. <laughs> Those are the three top. All right. Then we've got the WCC and the CCHA. So essentially lots of people, uh, I mean, it makes sense, rely on the fire hall and the paramedics. And I'm really pleased to have heard how they are prepared because uh, we will need them one day. Um, I think that pretty much covers what's, what's interesting about this, uh, this survey. I hope that people will show some interest in coming to the radio station and being those people that, um, read the messages that are the emergency messages from the SRD and send them along on the air. A cool thing too, is that that little system that we have also can receive VHF, uh, messages. So we can communicate through the radio station to paramedics and the fire hall and every other initiative that uses the VHF here on the island. So if something's happening in Whaletown and Tamara wants everybody to know, she can send that message out to our little um, system and then whoever is there on air can read it out to everybody at home. So get a hand crank radio, you know, they're probably pretty cheap and available. And one of the things that uh, was asked in the survey is can we, can we as uh, CKTs, I'd be selling those radios, and that's probably if we're we're looking into it. Yeah. 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 So Sean says it's something that's possible that can be done. So we should be doing it. Yeah. We'll have them soon. So, but you can't hear what's on the radio if you do not have a radio. So I, I, I do. I, I am also one of those people who just looks it up online first when something's going crazy. But remember online is gone (laughs) and online is offline in this scenario so that's not you know we can all imagine that right it has happened to us so now it's been happening for a long time and i think just that role of communications and i will say just since i've been involved with the radio uh which has just been since the pandemic the the degree by which we've become relevant i think in that and sort of taken on this 
Like, I want to know. Don't you want to know? Don't you want to be able to turn on the radio and find out there's a tree down before you head off, like to Squirrel Cove? I just want to know that before I get in my car. And I think more and more we're we're getting in that position. And I was actually doing a live show one day when the ferry got the little hole in it. That was really exciting. I got to <laughs> announce it on the radio. So I, I will say I have actual proof that we are improving uh, already. Uh, does anybody know that's here between you and Brian when our emergency kind of local response times are? Are these the news blocks? Like, oh, yes. Uh, so specific information is forthcoming. When do If you want to know what's going on for local news and or the emergency update, State of Cortez, you can tune in to CKTZ 89.5 FM or CortezRadio.ca at the following times. Oh, no, we're not going to tell you. No, right? What are the times? Uh, like? uh, nine, 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 three, and six. Nine, three, four, that's nine, twelve, three, and six. Yeah. Nine, twelve, three, and six. So that's on weekdays, right? Weekends. Week, weekends. There, it's two, eleven, and five on weekends. Four times a day during weekdays. Two times a day on weekends. No. Plus, well, disasters don't happen on weekends. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> oh, speaking of um, apocalypses, one of the thing, one of the things that I'm extremely excited about that will be organized by CKTZ at some point in the next year or two is that we will be doing one of these zombie apocalypse days. So we're going to be testing our services. We're going to be testing our initiatives. We're going to be testing ourselves, and it's. We're going to need zombie volunteers. We're going to need people pretending to be hurt. We're going to need uh, a really fun attitude and lots of people showing up. Because, honestly, I can't think of something that will be more fun and useful for our community. So let's get that done. And that's, uh, you know, CKTZ just bringing all that to you. How cool is that? This summer, right here. Let's do it this summer. I, I want to right now. And I, I volunteer to have attitude okay. for, for that event. Right here. Okay, so next we are going to have uh, Kate. Kate Madigan. Thank you, Cleo. See the live audience going crazy for Cleo. Uh, um, So Kate Madigan is coming next. And I've actually... um, I invited Kate here today to talk about what you can be doing in your own home and to get kind of your food stores ready and how you can organize your neighborhood. But actually, then I've since realized that you have a lot more to talk about. So the other thing that, well, right now, as we're speaking, Quadra Island is preparing for this amazing emergency fair. And they have gotten all their whole island kind of networked into these little neighborhood groups so that they have neighborhood-based emergency responses. So I know you know a little bit more about that. And I thought you could kind of shame us all into being or, or awakening our competitive spirit so that we too will learn from the Quadra example. Um, so I thought maybe you could also tell us a little bit about that. So there's a lot there, but don't start speaking yet because I have to pass this amazing microphone over to you, and then it's going to be all about you. Oh, and I should also just mention that on top of all the many other things that Kate Manigan is, she is also a paramedic. So well represented today. No wonder paramedics are the most beloved on the island along with the fire hall. Okay, well, I, I, God, 
I feel a little bit put on the spot because I actually don't know that much about what's going on in Quadra, but they are having a disaster preparedness expo on May 14th. There's going to be, it's like going to be kind of like a trade show. Um, there's going to be a couple of companies there selling like supplies that you might need for various things to prepare yourself. Um, but man, Quadra is so amazing. They're, uh, I hate to say it, but in the world of disaster preparedness, competitive, the competition, they're way ahead of us, unfortunately. Um, actually fortunately for them but but the good thing is that we can learn a lot from them and so i really encourage people to go to that expo at the community center um on may 14th yeah um i can't remember i think it's 11 to 3 um yeah it's going to be great and and i mean quadra is amazing because they have um organized they have about 35 neighborhoods that have uh, organized uh, around like they're very organized um and, uh, yeah, I, w- I would suggest, uh, and they, they're welcoming everybody from like Reed Island, Cortez Island, all the surrounding islands to go to this thing. And they're very, they're very willing to help us out with that. Um, so it's not just about Quadra residents. Um, yeah. So try and check that out. I know I'm going to go do it. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, uh, I'm trying to remember. So I got asked to come here to talk about long-term food storage, which is like really long-term food storage, like 30 years. And okay, why would you want to do that? Like, I, I don't know about you, but I think having two months, six months supply of dried goods, like just the staples, like beans and rice, something like that, you know, combined makes a complete protein, right? Um you know, maybe even a year long supply, uh, for your family. Um, and like, how do you do that? Well, first of all, I just want to say like, there's two reasons why people don't want, there are people on the island that do this, but they don't want you to know that they're doing it. Yeah, that's right. And the reason, the first reason is because it's weird. (laughs) It's kind of weird. Okay. (laughs) But I'm, 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 I guess I'm just weird. But the other reason is because if you're the only one in your neighborhood doing this, right, then, and, you know, the stuff hits the fan, then everyone's coming to your house because they're going to be hungry. So that's kind of why we're doing this, right? We want everybody to do this. We want everyone to prepare. And so, um, yeah, it's just like, you know, you sock away that food and you just forget about it. And it's just like, it's just peace of mind. I don't have to think about this. It's there if I need it. If I need it. Maybe we don't need it. Uh, so beans and rice. Um uh, so, and it's actually not freeze dry, although I really think that you should get a freeze dryer for Linnea and that, and just kind of, yeah, I mean, the, the freezers are good, but, um, so what you do is, and, and just actually, just before I get into that, we're talking about using mylar, mylar bags, which is basically a laminated bag, um, it's foil and plastic, and you drop an oxygen absorber in there, you seal it up and, and you're good, like with your food, right? Um, and that's how you do it. Um, and so you can get these mylar bags online and so on. There's all sorts of, um, I not, you know, like I, I'm just learning off of YouTube. Right. Um, but, and so that's, that's the type of food storage we're talking about. And just one more story. I, I do know of a family that actually did this for Y2K. Remember Y2K? Okay, well, that was like 22 years ago. Like, you know, the whole computer thing is going to mess up all of our infrastructure because we're going from 1999 to 2000 and everybody was worried about that. There was actually a lot of people that prepared 
because that was considered to be a disaster, an impending disaster. And and the reality is it didn't turn out to be like that. But uh, I do know a family that actually prepared for this. They put aside 25 barrels of food. Um, and you know, there's a, a, a barrel has anywhere between like 130 and 150 liters of capacity in there. So that's what they did. And instead of using an oxygen absorber, they used nitrogen gas to displace the oxygen in there. And this is a way to really seriously preserve your food long-term. So this is the same kind of principle with the Mylar bags that you can buy online. You can get really small ones. Um, you can get five gallon ones for a five gallon, um, bucket. Um, and, and bigger ones than that even. And, uh, there's, again, there's a lot of resources online about this, but so, um, anyway, I, I just thought it was really interesting to mention this family because, um, just a couple of years ago, they opened up those barrels to see how things went. And, um, definitely it was the beans and rice, like the white rice preserved the best. Um, the raisins were okay. Uh, Wheat, not so much. Brown rice, not so much. Um, oats, not so much. And 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 so what we're talking about is food that has oil in it, like whole grains, they go rancid. So you have to go and but like legumes are fine, like lentils and kidney beans and so on. Um, they don't have a lot of oils in them, but um, yeah. So that that's what they did, and and so that's just really useful information. Like you have to choose your foods carefully. Um, and make sure that you get like, and you know, like white rice. Yeah. There's quite a bit of, of nutrition taken out of the rice when it's processed. That's not a whole grain. White rice is not a whole grain, but there's still in a cup of white rice, you still get four grams of protein, you know? And so it's not that bad really. So, um, so with the Mylar bag, um, you basically, um, like I was saying before, you just, you take your rice, you fill it up in the bag, you um, drop the appropriate amount of oxygen absorber in there and you seal it up. Um, a lot of times they come as a Ziploc bag, but sometimes they don't. There's just, it's just an open bag. And what you have to do is you have to heat seal it. So you can use like a, a curling iron or just a regular iron to seal that um, bag. And it takes about four hours for the oxygen, like it kind of shrink wraps it. So it takes about four hours for all the oxygen to get absorbed. And then it's just this hard bag. Um, the thing about Mylar bags is you want to make sure you get five mil thickness bags. So anything thinner than that is not going to have the kind of um, uh, food preservation properties that you want. Um, and uh, the only thing else about Mylar bags is that they, um, they're not rat proof. So you still have to take these bags and put them in something. And what I've done is I've just taken a whole bunch of them and I've filled up a garbage, uh, like a, a, you know, a galvanized um, metal garbage can uh, full. And that's what I've done. So, yeah. And, uh, and so again, like, it's great to, you know, you can get together with your neighbors and, um, and just uh, have an assembly line and do it because it is kind of tricky. You got to use, you, once you open up that package of uh, oxygen absorbers, you have to use them really quickly because they'll start oxi you know, absorbing oxygen and then they won't be useful anymore. You have to have them in a sealed container so that they they don't uh, get, um, you know, used up or whatever. Yeah. And um, geez, I don't know what else to tell you about that. What else can I tell you about that? I think that's good. And what do you... 
recommend do you th- people here need to also be storing something like raisins or something that's going to give you your vitamin C so you don't get scurvy um and 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 what could we act yeah or will we just be able to collect it although in the middle of the winter will we still be able to get enough greens anyway maybe tomorrow wants to be part of that too but i'm just wondering would you only do rice and beans or are you also storing something like raisins um well again like you know i I think apparently, okay, this family, they told me that they did do raisins. Um, and the thing about the Mylar bag, they actually did do Mylar bags as well. But the raisins actually sort of took on the flavor of the bag a little bit. So so what you want to do, I think, avoid the really smaller bags because that's just exposing a lot of the surface area of the food to the bag. So you want larger bags, I think, would help a lot in that. Um, and, yeah, I think dried foods, freeze-dried foods can be further per- preserved this way so um i think that's that's something you can do with um, other types of food besides beans and rice yeah and then we have a neighborhood we we have the beginning of neighborhood emergency groups are you part of the one in smelt bay so do you, you remember how people can get signed up for that i mean there's a listserv uh, created is that what you're talking about the listserv yeah so so i don't know what other neighborhoods do i'm part of the small bay neighborhood i've we've got a listserv and yeah people jump on there and that's how we organize the uh, wildfire threat assessment uh, neighborhood one um coming up pretty soon um yeah I, I if people don't have a neighbor they're not part of their neighborhood listserv they should definitely find out about it and join or create one if it's not already created for sure and that's on cortez.groups.io. Again, if you would like to figure out how to get a neighborhood listserv going for you, you can email me at the letter U at folku.ca and I can put you in touch. Really, Aton has taken that on as sort of a volunteer effort during the pandemic, um, modeled after what was started with Smelt Bay. Uh, they, I think they're just about the only really functional neighborhood. We started one also for the Cortez Bay area, but we're not very um, on it with communicating through that listserv. Um, and the rest of you on on Cortez, at least, do not yet have your neighborhoods organized through a listserv, as far as I know. And once again, of course, that whole listserv idea is going to come to a screeching halt, uh, you know, a few days after the zombie apocalypse. Uh, but it is useful to start getting your neighbors organized for food storage or for the fire smart, you may have heard Kate just say, etc. So we are nearing the end of our time, but we have uh, a few moments if there's pressing questions that people from the audience would like to ask. And uh, and we still have many of our emergency responders left here. And while I wait to see if people have the courage to raise their hands in the live audience and (laughs) have to therefore be on the radio... I want to throw out a couple thank yous because doing a live event after not having done really barely anything live, uh, <laughs> been totally zombing it for, for the last two and a half years, um, there was a lot of things to figure out. Um, so thanks to many, many people for making that happen. I'm going to try to name some of them, which is always one of those things where you're like, whoops. Um, so I want to, first of all, thanks, Sean. Sean has been running around behind the scenes this whole time trying to figure out how to get the radio aspect to work. So we are sitting in a beautiful field on a beautiful day 
uh, on this uh, property under this tent. And we're able to do that because Sean has done all the kind of crazy technical stuff to make it work. And we're also using for the first time that I know of today, this portable radio broadcasting unit. And we actually have a small radio antenna set up and we're broadcasting from a field from radio to the radio station. So we're hoping to be able to do more of this and get the kinks worked out so that we could be broadcasting from even further and further distances. And this little system can just hook right up to a car battery um, and work for quite a while just off that little bit of power. So what else will we be doing with car batteries once we no longer have fuel? will be broadcasting on the radio. So big thanks to Sean and to CKTZ, including Brian and Cleo. Uh, and then also, see, we have chairs. I cannot tell you how hard it was to find chairs for today. But thank you to CCHA for letting us borrow their chairs. I oh, know to the SCCA for letting us borrow their chairs and to Ruben and Savannah who spent their time picking up the chairs, unloading the chairs, putting the chairs out. Uh, and thanks to Sita for letting us use this space and getting this tent up um, uh, so we could use the space. Uh, much of that was thanks to Kate. Um, yeah, the tent's not exactly where I wanted it, but I'm still thanking them. <laughs> Maybe next time I can be queen of all things. I'm working towards it. Um, and thanks to all of the first responders who volunteered their time to come and to share their knowledge with you. Um, and thanks to you, a live audience and a and a, wherever you are, audience. Oh, th yes, that's my my uh, uh, embarrassing part. Um, so anyway, I'm hoping we will be doing more and more live shows like this. Uh, probably not as enjoyable to listen to from home, but you can just hear the energy, right? We're having fun, and that's always cool. So thank you so much. And the people who are here can sit around and learn more from each other. And those who are uh, at home can if send me emails if you'd like some follow-up or if you would like to be connected to any of the amazing people who were here today. Thanks for joining us. And let's see if I can make this. That's it for another edition of Folk U Radio. If you'd like to learn more about Folk U or subscribe to our podcast series, visit us at folku.ca. That's F-O-L-K-U dot C-A. Folk U is produced at CKTZ 89.5 FM Cortez Radio dot C-A. Something lame it's got to say It's embarrassing All the stupid things I can't think of To think about Is there anything That could really bring My mind back To my senses Don't get me wrong I am thankful I can Think, but I'd be thankful to be also able not to think.